Good morning, church. We're going to quickly open up in prayer before you take your seats. Lord Jesus, we're just so grateful that we can be in your house this morning and celebrate what you did on the cross. You are an amazing God, Lord, and we want to declare this morning how powerful your cross is, how powerful your grace is. And Lord, I just pray you'll have your way in every one of our hearts. I thank you that your word never returns void. It always sets out what you accomplish it to do. So I pray you'll take control this morning. I'll get out of the way and your will will be done in Jesus' precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen. You guys can take your seats. So I love Easter. Andre and I always say it's like the Super Bowl weekend of Christianity, isn't it? Because it really brings us back to what it's all about, why we even get to be Christians, why we get to go to heaven. It's, it's the foundation of Christianity. But I'm going to get right into, into the sermon. If you're a note taker or if you just enjoy titles, I, I always have to give everything a title. The title of my sermon this morning is Amazing Grace. And when I thought about Easter Friday, I kind of thought there's no more appropriate title than Amazing Grace, right? Because that's what we are celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that our God went to the cross so that you and I can live in freedom. Amen? So we're going to be speaking about Amazing Grace. Now, some of you, this might be your first time in church, or maybe you haven't been in church in a while. Maybe you come all the time, but I'm pretty sure that most of you have heard the term amazing grace, hey? Have you guys all heard it? Why have you heard it? That famous song, that hymn, right? Famous hymn, amazing grace. I love it. It's beautiful. And I thought I'd actually tell you guys this morning a little bit about the background to that song. It all pretty much started in 1725 when a a baby boy called John Newton entered the world. And I'm sure he was a very sweet baby boy, but he didn't stay sweet for that long. And he grew up to be quite a hectic character, this John Newton. Um, They say he swore so much, he actually invented new swear words. This is what history tells you about John Newton. And his nickname was the Great Blasphemer, which is pretty hectic because blaspheming is obviously to use the name of God in vain. His nickname was the Great Blasphemer. And he was a sailor. He was also involved in the slave trade. So he wasn't a great guy. He made a lot of money off that. And he, and he would sail... Um, but history, history states that he was such a hectic guy. He was arrogant. He was abrasive. He loved to fight. That nobody liked him. And on one of his voyages, he actually annoyed the captain so much that he tied him to the mast, stripped him down, and flogged him so severely he was bedridden. And he ended up writing in his diary that once he had healed, he was going to murder the captain and then commit suicide. Okay, so not a happy chappy, okay, John Newton, we all agree. Before he had a chance to carry out his plan, his crew were so sick of him, they ended up putting him on another ship. They were like, yeah, you take him. And at that point, he, he got healthier and healthier and stronger, and he was working on this new ship. But he annoyed them just as much, 
and they ended up arriving in the West Indies. They were dropping off slaves, and they ended up selling John Newton as a slave in the West Indies, and he spent three years working as a slave. His dad was quite high up in the British Navy, and he sent someone to save him or to, to bring him back. And pretty much that's when things started to change for John. He was on the ship on his way back to England, and a massive storm hit. Again, this is factual, this is history, you can go and research it. A massive storm hit, and the boat was covered in water, they were sinking. And in his moment of greatest desperation, and in his moment of greatest need, the great blasphemer yelled out, God have mercy on us, God save us. And he yelled it out and he and basically cried out to God. And they say it was like miraculous. The ship should have gone down. It didn't go down. And the storm began to seize. And they managed to hit the shore in Northern Ireland, quite close to England. And when John arrived in Ireland, he was so blown away by this encounter where he had cried out to this God he had never believed in. Um, he actually decided to get his hand on a Bible and any bit of Christian literature he could find in Ireland. And he got it, and he spent the trip back to England reading the Bible, reading about Christianity. And by the time he landed, um, let me tell you guys the date. It was 1748. He had decided he was going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Massive life transformation. And the incredible thing is it wasn't just a, oh, I got saved on the ship. I'm going to follow Jesus. Six months later, I'm, I'm back doing what I used to do. It was a real life change. This guy ended up becoming a priest. He ended up being very instrumental in abolishing slavery. And he also wrote the words of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. And I want to read the words to you guys, but I want you guys to actually take in these words, knowing that they were written by John Newton, the great blasphemer who turned a follower of Jesus after encountering his amazing grace. Okay, we're going to read the words together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. It's pretty beautiful. And we're going to be talking about that amazing grace and diving a little bit deeper into it this morning. But just studying the life of, of John Newton, he really reminded me of another famous author, the Apostle Paul, who God obviously used to write a large portion of the New Testament, right? We know the Bible is God-breathed, it's God-written, but he used Paul as an instrument. And if you read, especially Ephesians 2, you'll... We're going to look at the similarities between the two gentlemen. But when, as we read Ephesians 2, 
just to give you the background, if you know anything about Paul, um, he was a very passionate guy. And when you read Ephesians 2, it's almost like the passion is jumping out the pages, okay? He's like, God is so good. His grace is so amazing. He's like bursting. He has to get it out and he repeats himself. And he's, he's just, the words almost just run off the page. Um, and I've summarized it a bit, but here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm starting at verse 1 and you'll see I jump a bit. But he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. All of us living among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Wrath or wrath? Wrath. Sorry, guys. I don't know why I'm saying wrath the whole time. I did it in the first service too. Wrath. Okay. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If I had to summarize Ephesians 2, I would put it into three main categories. You were, but God, by grace. Okay, just hang in there with me, but I want you to repeat it after me. Say, you were, but God, by grace. Okay, what is she talking about? You were. What does that mean, you were? The fact of the matter is, if you are sitting in this auditorium today and you're saying, Leanne, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. If that is the case, then you need to be aware of the fact that you are not today what you once were. Would you agree? If you're a follower of Jesus today, you are not today what you once were. Because the Bible says we once were enemies of God, deserving of His wrath. Got it right? We were enemies of God. And you might say, geez, Leanne, that's a little bit harsh. Um, I'm actually a really good person. If you get to know me, I'm a kind person. I'm a good person. I give to charity. How can you say that that I'm an enemy of God? It doesn't make sense. Because of the fact that you and I are descendants of Adam and Eve, we were born into a sinful world with a sinful nature. We were born sinners. That's the fact of the matter. If you don't believe me, you just have to have a look at a beautiful, sweet, newborn baby. They're gorgeous when they come out, right? And they stay gorgeous, but as they grow and they start to learn words... There's always, I would say, two words in their first five words. Any of the parents can guess what one of them is? Come on. Who's watched Finding Nemo? The seagulls. Mine, 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 mine. It's like 
babies learn to say, mine, mine. They don't want to share because we are selfish by nature. You don't have to teach a baby to be selfish. As a parent, you spend like the next 15 to 20 years trying to teach them to share and not be selfish, right? Share with your sibling. Or is it just me? Come on. And one of the other words that they learn very quickly is no. Defiance. You don't have to teach a child to be defiant. It's like in their nature. In their sinful nature, you spend your life as a parent teaching them not to be defiant. To say, yes, mom, I will with pleasure. Come on, any parent disagree with me here? Did you give birth to a saint? Anyone? We have sinful natures. We are born with a sinful nature. So you were, but God. It's not a bad thing. You might still be disagreeing with me. I don't know. This is a church. We have to be honest in church, right? Anyone here ever told a lie? If you have, put your hand up. Okay, those of you not putting your hand up, you're lying right now. (laughs) Come on. We've all told a lie. I've told several lies. Anyone here ever stolen? I was going to say, don't put your hand up. The person next to you is going to hold their handbag very tight. (laughs) But like, I listen, I mean... I never stole from a shop or anything like that. I'm not judging anyone, but I mean, my sister had a chocolate in her school bag and I took that chocolate and when she asked me if I ate it, I said no, so I lied and I stole. It was two in one. (laughs) But we all have sinful natures. Have you ever dishonored your parents? You've been a teenager. And listen, the Bible says, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't steal, don't lie, don't dishonor your parents. One of the really important ones. I'm always like, please God, I want to live a long life like that. And you know, just they say if you want to live a long life, don't dishonor your parents. So, am I proving my point? We're all sinners in need of a savior. And that's not a bad thing. Some of you are going, come on, Leanne, it's Easter Sunday. This should be a happy message. This is a happy message because we have a Savior. That's what happened on Easter Friday. Our Savior went to the cross and He paid the price for our sins. But the thing is, being aware of the fact that you're a sinner is not a bad thing because it makes you aware that you need a Savior. If you don't realize you're a sinner, you're never going to look for a savior. It's like, and you know what? Jesus says in the Bible repeatedly, I didn't come for all the angels with their halos. I came for the broken. I came for the hurting. I came for the sinners. Jesus says, it's not the healthy that need the doctor. It's the sick. I'm here to heal you. I'm here to restore you. That's why Jesus came to earth to heal broken people like you and I. But you need to be aware of the fact that you have a problem. It's like, have you ever had a person who is like coughing their lungs out and you're like, geez, dude, like you need to go see a doctor. Oh no, it's just allergies. And then the green snot like rolls down their nose. (laughs) Now, 
you don't need a medical degree. I actually do have a medical degree, but you don't need a medical degree to know that if it's green, it's mean, you need antibiotics. It's not allergies. And if you just leave it going, it's just allergies, I'm not sick, that green snot's probably going to go to your lungs, give you bronchitis, maybe pneumonia, and you could end up in hospital. Or you could just take some antibiotics, right? But you first need to actually acknowledge that you're sick. Are you with me? We need to acknowledge that we're sinners and we need a savior. But we have access to grace. Jesus came for the broken and the hurting to set sinners free. You look at a guy like Paul. We love Paul. He's like a hero in the New Testament, but we often forget how his life started. Paul was such a dodgy guy. His whole mission in life was to murder Christians. That's what he did for a living. He would walk around looking for Christians who believed in Jesus and he would murder them. That's what he did. And he didn't just murder them like quickly. It was a slow, painful death. They would be stoned over a couple of hours. It was a terrible way to die. That's what Paul did. And then one day, he's walking on a mission to look for Christians to stone. And it's like this bright light from heaven came down and blinded him and he couldn't see. And a voice said to him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? And he knew it was God. And that voice told him to go to Ananias, a prophet. And he, when he went to Ananias, he went there blind and vulnerable. What would you have done if you were Ananias? And this murderer of your fellow Christians arrived. Would you have taken him out? Who's honest? <laughs> I'm doing this for the Christians, you know, like. But what did Ananias do? He was so full of God's love and grace, because people who've received love and grace, they often give love and grace, right? He was so full of God's love and grace. He embraced Paul. He laid hands on him. He prayed for him. The Bible says it was like the scales fell off his eyes, very similar to John Newton. I once was blind, but now I see. The scales fell off his eyes. And Ananias then prophesied over him. He loved him. He prophesied over him and he said, Paul, you've been called to so much more than this. God's got a plan for you. You've forgiven and you are called. Go out and preach the name of Jesus. That's God's plan for your life. And that's what Paul did. And he made the hugest impact. Because God is rich in mercy. So yes, Paul was just like you were, but God, by grace, changed everything. Amen? He was dead in his transgressions, but he had a but God moment, because God is so rich in mercy. You were, but God, by grace. Why did I name this sermon Amazing Grace? 
Because Easter Friday is all about God's amazing grace. On Easter Friday, Jesus went to that cross and he paid the price for every sin that you and I ever have or ever will commit. Whether you believe it or not, whether you think it's a sweet fairy tale story, it's the truth. He paid the price for every sin you or I ever have or ever will commit. And he was the ultimate pure, spotless lamb. You know, before Jesus died on the cross, every year they would have Passover, the Jewish people, right? And what would happen at Passover? They would find a spotless lamb and they would shed its blood and they would cover their, their doorposts with the blood. And that was a sacrifice to atone for their sins. It was a way of saying, I'm sorry. They had to say, they had to sacrifice in order to be made right with God. But then Jesus came along, gave his life once and for all. He shed his pure, spotless blood and never again did we have to slaughter a lamb because he was the ultimate lamb. Come on, that should make you excited. And now we get to live in his grace. It was all by grace. You were but God by grace. And Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved. We read it. For by grace you have been saved. By faith. The gift of God. It was a gift of God. So that no one could boast. Come on. It's a free gift. And it's so important that we understand what grace is. The undeserved favor of God. There is nothing, there is no good deed I could do that could earn God's grace. Nothing I could do could earn it. The only reason I get to stand up here is because of the grace of God. The only, I mean, and it should, it should make us very excited. You also need to remember that there's nothing that you could do to make you unworthy of God's grace. The cross was big enough. The cross, I don't care what you've done. The cross was more powerful. It's more impactful. And nobody is excluded from the grace of God. It's a gift that you could never deserve. And it's free to everyone. You know, I grew up as a pastor's child, grew up in church, and I had an understanding of God, but I didn't fully understand grace. And it was only when I heard this illustration that I really understood it. And you might have heard me say it before, but it's like the Bible says, when you receive God's grace, you become the righteousness of God through Jesus. Okay, and that can sound very confusing. But what that really means is when you accept his grace, that he died on the cross, and that's his grace, you get his righteousness. It's like putting on a robe of righteousness. And the best way to picture it is like the robe is an invisibility cloak. But instead of you becoming invisible, your sins become invisible. 
So with the cloak of righteousness on, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sins. He sees the sinless, spotless record of Jesus. And that's why you loved. And that's why you cared for. And that's why you're chosen. And that's why you called. And that's why you get to go to heaven and spend eternity with God because you have his cloak of righteousness because of his grace that you couldn't earn. It's a free gift. So God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. No man, no human. And how do you respond to grace? You respond to grace like Ananias responded to grace. By extending grace. By extending love. By honouring God. Because people who've received grace and received love, it naturally flows through them. we look at the Bible, we see the story of the adulterous lady and Jesus is walking and the people say to him, she's committed adultery and the law says she must be stoned. And they look at Jesus and Jesus says, fine, whoever of you is without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he starts to write in the sand. And scholars believe, it hasn't been proven, but they they believe that he was writing everybody's sins in the sand because he knows everybody's sins. And one by one, they turned around and began to walk away. And then he says to the lady, where are your accusers? He says, they are none. So you've received grace, but go and sin no more. And that was a life changed, like Paul, like John Newton. We read about the prodigal son. He dishonored his dad. He took his inheritance. In those days, it was like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you would just die. That's literally what it was like by taking your inheritance early. And he goes off and he gets caught up in debauchery and all kinds of ungodly things, wastes his entire inheritance. Eventually, he says, you know what, I'm living worse than than one of my dad's pigs. I'd rather be a servant in my dad's household. And he goes back and he's expecting to be severely disciplined. And what happens? His dad runs to meet him, throws his cloak around him and gets the, the, the fattened calf and prepares a feast. Why? Because of grace, because of undeserved favor, because he's going, you're my son and I love you. And I like to believe that that prodigal son was never the same again. And he didn't disrespect his father because he loved his father. And people who've received so much grace, they give grace. They give love. It changes you. Grace changes you. You look at Jesus hanging on the cross and he has two sinners, one on either side of him. And the one mocks him and says, if you were really God, you'd get yourself off the cross. This is a joke. And the other one says, Jesus, this is so wrong. This should never be happening to you. Please, when you get to heaven, will you remember me? And Jesus says, surely we'll meet in paradise later today. So pretty much, what was he extending that, that criminal? Grace. Did he, have, did he have a chance to earn it? Did he have a chance to get off the cross and do some good works? No. All he did was believe in Jesus and receive grace. 
But I'm pretty sure if he'd got off the cross, that grace would have changed him. We would, we would have seen a changed life. We would have seen another Paul. We would have seen another John Newton, another Ananias. But my point is, he received grace, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God that you and I get to celebrate because of what happened on Easter Friday when Jesus went to the cross willingly and paid the price for our sins. want us to stand to our feet and I want us to sing the song Amazing Grace and then afterwards we're going to break bread together you've got the little cups with the, the bread and the juice and I want us to break bread but before we do that I don't want you to think about your emblem put it away I want you to think about the amazing grace that we get to celebrate because of the cross. You might be sitting here going, Leanne, I feel so far from God. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what my past is like. I wanna tell you again, I don't care what you've done. There is no sin that is bigger than the cross. And this amazing grace applies to you too. You might be sitting here And God's going, I want to change your story to you were, but God by grace. That's what He wants to do in some of your lives this morning. Others of you, you're close to God. You've received grace and and you're walking in grace and you're walking in love. And you're going to just take this moment to worship God and to thank Him again. Because my prayer this Easter Friday is that we never ever take the cross for granted. It never just becomes like a sweet story. It always pierces our hearts as we remember what Jesus did for us. So I want to encourage you to lift your hands. This is just a sign of surrender as we worship God and say thank you for your amazing grace, for going to the cross, for loving me. Lord Jesus, as we break bread now, and we eat the biscuit. We thank you again for going to the cross and letting your body be broken for us so we can spend eternity with you in heaven. We honour you and we love you. And as we drink of the fruit juice, Lord, it reminds us of your blood that was shed, that forgives us of all our sins, that washes us pure and white as snow. And God, we just say we're eternally grateful. We love you, Jesus. I want to encourage you guys just to take a seat in this moment.
Lord, we stay in this attitude of worship with every head bowed out of respect. I'd be doing you the biggest, biggest disservice if I didn't give you an opportunity this morning. If you are here and you're saying, Leanne, I'm not in a relationship with Jesus. I don't know Him personally. I haven't let His grace come in and change me. I'm not living in the freedom of His grace. I want to tell you that you were bought at a very high price. Jesus gave His life for you. He loves you. And He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And the best decision you could make this morning is to give your life to Him. Maybe you've given your life to Him a long time ago, but you know you've drifted away. And I want to encourage you to recommit your life. So with every head bowed out of respect, I'm going to ask you to to boldly, when I count to three, put your hand up. Because Jesus says in the Bible, if you acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. And it's just me looking. But I want you to stick your hand up boldly. If you're saying, Leanne, I want to give my life to Jesus. or I want to recommit my life to Jesus. I want to live in this grace. I want to walk in this grace. One, God so loved the world. Two, that He gave His one and only Son. Three, you can pop your hand up so I can see it. I see that hand. That's amazing. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Come on, that's awesome. His hand's going up everywhere. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Just pop it up. I see those two hands. That's awesome. Anyone else? I don't want you to miss out. I see that hand. Best decision you can ever make. See that hand. Anybody else? I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity. Just pop it up so I can see it. See that hand. It's awesome. Okay, we're going to pray together as a church family. Is that good? Okay. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. And paying the price for my sins. Today, I ask you to be Lord of my life. To forgive me of my sins. I want to walk in your grace. I want to walk in your freedom. And I thank you, Jesus, that the Bible says that now I'm saved and I'm changed and I'll never be the same again. Thank you that you love me. And thank you that you created me on purpose for a purpose. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Come on, let's give God a big hand. The whole of heaven goes crazy when one person makes that commitment. So I just want to encourage you guys. You've had a spiritual home run by putting your hand up. So when you are playing baseball, you don't just hit a home run and and run to first base. You run all the bases, right? So you've just run to first base. But I want to encourage you to get a Bible, join a view group, go to growth track. Don't try and do this walk alone. But God's got so much for you.